Welcome to the Tightly Coupled Book Club. I'm Mina, joined by my artsier half Aji. Hey there, cats and kittens. For this episode, we read Getting Started with Rails in the Ruby on Rails Guides. Aji, did you learn anything that surprised you? I did, actually. This might be a bit facetious in this answer, but I learned that the first couple of chapters here are a lot deeper than I would have expected. I thought it'd be a nice kind of fluffy intro and getting started, but it introduces a ton of kind of foundational ideas for Rails, and I just want to have conversations with a bunch of different Rails developers about all of these different things, because I think they're so both entrenched in the way that Rails is built and the way the community thinks about it, and also probably understood and implemented and interpreted a ton of different ways. Yeah, and I also think that this section, this whole section, which we only read the first four chapters from, uh, Getting Started with Rails, mentions a lot of topics that would eventually have in-depth episodes as we get deeper into the guides. Uh, I found myself, while reading just these four chapters, keep wanting to click into the links that they suggested. You know, there will be a whole section, probably multiple episodes about routing, for example. And it kind of just throws that concept at you and said, like, this is how you get started. It really takes advantage of being a hypertext document on the web as opposed to a book because it reads as though it's expecting your journey through the guide to not be linear, uh, which is exactly what we're doing, of course. But it's linking to the things that it's just kind of referencing and talking about. It's like foreshadowing with a link to the page where the thing happens that it's being foreshadowed. Chapter one here is guide assumptions, and I was really surprised at how short this is on the page. I'm not really sure why, but I thought that there might be more here. But it's basically like, yeah, you should probably have used Ruby before. Here's a link or two. Let's get ready. Yeah, and I was trying to think back on when I first learned Rails and trying to remember whether I had any kind of basic Ruby knowledge uh, at the time. And I honestly cannot remember. My instinct wants to say that I didn't. But thinking back about how when you were teaching me at home and essentially following the Deaf Bootcamp guides and curriculum, I know that they go into Ruby before they hit you with Rails, right? right. Assuming that I was following that curriculum pretty closely I can only conclude that I had a little bit of Ruby knowledge before we jumped into Rails, right? We made the interesting choice at one point to start your journey uh, in programming by learning Elixir together that I didn't know at the time. I mean, still don't know. That didn't last very long. No. Think about my own feelings about starting learning Ruby or by learning Rails. I used to be really staunchly learn Ruby first, like have a good understanding of Ruby, especially with all of the kind of magical things that can happen within this framework. I didn't really understand the benefits to learning Rails either before, with, concurrently, however you want to consider it, learning Ruby, and kind of dismissed that as an approach. But like most opinions, that's that's mellowed as I've gotten more experience, especially heard more stories in the community about how people learn and how they stayed excited and how they got into Rails. And at this point, I think really sort of any entry point is a valid one. And just because my pedagogical experience through Dev Bootcamp was to learn Ruby pretty concretely first doesn't mean that that's the only way. And in the chapter itself, it also doesn't say that you have to have 
Ruby knowledge first. It just acknowledges the fact that if you don't, that learning curve is going to be a little steeper. And I think that goes into your uh, statement about every entry point is a valid one. Pretty nicely is that you can enter it from anywhere. It's just your journey is going to be different than somebody who maybe came at it from a different different entry point. The one thing that this doesn't start with, which I appreciate, if you're starting with the guides and kind of learning Ruby alongside, you don't get that first chapter that is what is a variable that every like first beginning programming tutorial starts with, which is incredibly important when you're just starting out. But when you want to learn your like second, third, fourth language and the all of the tutorials you can find are like, this is a function. I do want to follow up and maybe d- respectfully disagree about the point you made earlier that knowing Ruby, the programming language ahead of learning Rails was going to make Rails less quote unquote magical. Being able to read Ruby code definitely gives you the tools to dig into Rails source code and lift some of that magic. But that in itself doesn't automatically give you the know-how or the knowledge to understand how Rails is doing its magical things, even though I do really hate that word. I, I know I shouldn't have uh, opened up this this Pandora's box with you. But yeah, I think I did sort of misuse that term because there it is very loaded. I meant maybe just some more of the like syntactical sugar and some of these things that like Ruby can look very different different from use case to use case. And if you have a understanding of the foundations of the language, it might be a little bit easier to follow that uh, and those kind of stylistic changes uh, from DSL to DSL as you're working through Rails. Yeah, knowing Ruby and kind of coupled with the knowledge that you can dig into the source code of Rails and given implicit permission to dig into that is really what will unmagic Rails the framework. We come up here on the second chapter that's entitled, What is Rails? And again, it's very short on the page, right? But in our show notes document here and in my notes as I'm reading through it, all of these questions and so much depth came out of this. And I think part of that is me reading into the things that it's presenting here, and it's not really contained within the statements on this page. And trying to balance all of my opinions and experience and feelings and conversations I've had in the community with what would someone who's coming through the guides for the first time experience this section as I think it's drastically different for one. What was your kind of experience here with this? What is Rails? Like, did this feel familiar to you? How did you read this part? Yeah, the second chapter lists the two founding principles of Rails, right? That is dry, which means don't repeat yourself. And the other one being conventional over configuration. I have heard in the last few years working in Rails of both of those concepts, right? Pretty early on, I think us Rails developers like to kind of throw those terms around. And I don't think that until I read this chapter, I realized that it was solidified in words in the guides and made official. I always thought that it was a, they were a community adopted principles. Yeah. 
Neither of these phrases comes from Rails. Dry is from the pragmatic programmer. Convention over configuration is just kind of what it says on the tin. I want to kind of dive into each of those just a little bit if we can. The way that dry is described on this page here that quote, every piece of, it's a double quote, I'm quoting the guides <laughs> quoting someone else. Um, every piece of knowledge must have a single unambiguous authoritative representation within a system. That is really very close and might actually be a quote from where dry is originally defined and kind of the initial reasoning behind that principle. But that's not often how I experience people relating to that principle in kind of day-to-day work. I think more often this sort of shows up as people understanding and trying to implement it as don't write the same code twice. Yes, actually for me and maybe for our other listeners as well, can you put that quote into your own words and share what you think that means? I sort of have two feelings that come to the front of mind when I read that and try to interpret that into my own words. The first being the idea that if you have something that will be referenced and talked about in many different places, that you don't want to have to go and change that every single time. Having a hard-coded string of a URL that you're using over and over again, well, that probably should get moved to a configuration or something like that, where all you have to do is change that URL once instead of searching and replacing or maybe typoing all the time because that URL is a single piece of knowledge. And so it should live in one file. If that URL was many different pieces of knowledge and the URLs were different for every single location where it's being referenced, that would make more sense for it to be in all of those different places. You can see in a lot of Rails programming that there's like rails.root and then you put the rest of the path after that, right? It's rails.root is your one single source of truth. Single source of truth. I think that is the the crux of this. Yeah, I do agree that a lot of people kind of take that don't repeat yourself, especially I think newer developers take that just meaning if you write the same code twice, it needs to be refactored somehow. And my own personal development process is that while I'm still in development for a feature, I will repeat myself everywhere, especially when I'm new to sort of a business domain. I want to be able to understand what does this data structure look like and what is this value expected to be. So I will hard code everything everywhere. just for my own sanity. And then that single source of truth, finding places where it diverges from that, where one piece of data is hard-coded multiple times the same value. At that point, before we PR this thing, we clean it up. That really taps into the second sort of feeling I had about this definition, that a piece of knowledge can also be a method or a technique or a process. Uh, That's the word I was looking for. And that goes really closely with a quote that I love to throw around, and I'm probably paraphrasing this, but Sandy Metz's advice that duplication is often less expensive than the wrong abstraction. To me, when I hear you talking about your hard coding all over the place, it's because you don't know what the full shape of this thing is going to be. You want to make sure that you're making the correct abstraction that 
that works for all of these different locations when you finally do come back to extract that out. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. I think the idea of dry being, if you see the code twice, maybe you should do something about that, is a very helpful and valid way to experience this principle when you're just getting started. Because throwing a Sandy Metz quote at you is just going to confuse the person who is just still trying to grok classes and methods and all of that. So the entry-level interpretation and introduction to Don't Repeat Yourself sounds very much like Don't Write This Code Twice. But I don't often enough encounter people that have taken the step towards the more nuanced understanding of it. And I think uh, that's something that I love to kind of shout from the rooftops. Yes, I have mixed feelings about convention over configuration. Did you know that about me? (laughs) I I think I could have guessed. I appreciate that when I Rails new a project, it makes a lot of decisions about how things should be done for me. I don't ever have to think about the folder structure of a Rails project or diving into an older Rails project. I've never really had a ton of trouble getting started and knowing where to find definitions of things. But when it gets to things that are more advanced maybe or nuanced because we didn't really have to learn a ton of the like configuration parts sometimes those are harder to debug Uh, let me see if i understand what you're saying that because convention over configuration allows you to kind of skip over what's going on under the hood when a problem is an interaction between your code and what's going on under the hood it can be harder to uncover and uh, deal with because it is in kind of the understructure that you didn't have to learn. Yeah, and because for the most part, you don't have to worry about it, you can kind of free up bandwidth to learn other things when you do need to come in and tweak configuration. It feels sometimes like for me working with CSS, just kind of throwing options in there and see what works and what sticks. You brought up an interesting point that convention over configuration can often help you when joining a project that's already in process. Um, it's not just at the beginning that this is helpful. It's something that as a Rails developer, you might be moving around to different parts of an application or different applications that are more legacy or switching jobs. Or if you're like us, you're a consultant, you're going into a lot of different applications all the time, there's much less of that learning curve of this particular application. And that mirrors really well the benefits at the beginning of a project where you don't have to worry about all this configuration. You don't have to worry about it when you're coming to it later, too, because it's all in generally the same place. Yeah, you can make a lot of assumptions about how a project is set up when somebody tells you, this is our main Rails monolith. The guide's even say that Rails makes a lot of assumptions. It's, quote, Rails is opinionated software, and it is. I want to talk about that word opinionated, because in my experience, when we use that about a person, it's not usually in the most positive of light. When we say so-and-so is opinionated, what is your interpretation of that about that person then, right? Usually that means that they will tell you about those opinions as well, because otherwise, how do you know that they are opinionated? I don't know what your interpretation is when that word is used on a web framework. It doesn't seem to have the same negative connotation. 
the part that resonates with me about calling Rails opinionated is that someone who is opinionated has their opinions, they're very entrenched in them, and they're not going to change, and doing anything outside of those opinions with that person is going to be much more difficult. And that lines up really well with my understanding of Rails. The Rails way, which also gets introduced here in this section, the Rails way makes everything a smoother time because you're going along with everything that the framework is assuming and all of its opinions. And whenever you have to do something that falls outside of the Rails way, or you have a specific use case that goes against one of those conventions, you're going to have a bad time. And that just lends more teeth, I think, to the comparison of using that description on a person. You don't want to work with somebody who's rigid, at least most of us don't. But when it is used to describe Rails, it, we Rails developers like to think that that is an advantage. So I'm interested to hear if that description of Rails is maybe what have kept for example, Python developers or JavaScript developers from using our framework, if they hear about it being opinionated, they're like, well, I can't do certain things in a certain way. That's too difficult. Do you think that's maybe possible? I definitely think that that's possible. I certainly can't speak for any folks that don't know Ruby and are uh, looking at picking up Rails, of course, but I know that there are people whose preference is to make all of these tiny decisions about your application. Being very intentional about all of this little minutia is important to them, the way they work and the way they want to structure their application. And so those people are not going to be happy with Rails. Yeah, I imagine that most of our listeners uh, would be Rubyists, if not Rails developers as well. But, you know, Rubyists, go out, ask your friends. We want to know the answers to that question. It's that dichotomy between making all of those decisions and the Rails way that gives Rails one of its more highly touted benefits, that you get to writing your business-specific code faster. You're not spending a couple of weeks doing all of the setup, which back when you had to write Webpack configs by hand before things like Create React App and all these templates was a nightmare because I just wanted to start a side project, but it meant that I had to spend four days mucking with this thing rather than just getting started on the thing that I was excited about. When you have something that you want to MVP, get to market, find your product market fit, and get rolling and iterate, then Rails is going to fit into that really, really well. But the trade-off is that things might start to become a little more difficult when you're entrenched in an application, you've got your thing going, and now you need to do something that steps outside of those bounds, right? If you've configured everything yourself, then you might potentially be able to kind of see that coming and set it up that way. Or it's just you actually have access to those levers and knobs, whereas Rails hides them away. Everything's a shade of gray, everything's a trade off. But I think that that is one to consider when you're deciding what you need your framework to do. For that reason, Rails is really great first. Ruby and Rails are really great first kind of entry point introduction to development for folks who are either 
new to programming or changing careers or whatnot, but maybe not necessarily as friendly to folks who need to maybe unlearn some things in order to work within the bounds of Rails that make things easier. I uh, myself have worked at a few shops where the majority of the folks working there did not kind of come from Ruby and they hadn't really picked up this community accepted like the Ruby way, the Rails way. The guides say right here, quote, if you persist in old habits and quote, calling out patterns you learned elsewhere, it says you may have a less happy experience. And that has been my experience coming from a place of knowing and leaning into the Rails way and the Ruby way, going into one of those shops where it's the, the code base is a Rails application, but it looks like .NET because it's the patterns and it's the experience and the things that we're familiar to the people that built it. And that's how they knew to get things going. Not only did I find that difficult to work in because I didn't know those patterns and I couldn't conform to the way that they liked their application structured, but it also frustrated them because they were not doing things the Rails way and Rails itself is calling out right there. If you try to do that, you're going to have a bad time. And so they would grumble and gripe about Rails, but it was maybe a little more that they were trying to use it in a way that it wasn't intended. The creators and maintainers of Rails explicitly make it more frustrating or frictionful to go against that in a way to kind of nudge you towards more conventional means. These two chapters, these two first two chapters guide assumptions and what is Rails should really be, if not required reading, whoever you're learning it from should maybe summarize it for you. <laughs> For me, this is the first time I'm going through these two chapters. And because of my normal relationship with documentation and with these guides, I don't really land in them unless I'm maybe looking for something specific or wanted to get more in-depth information about something that I specifically am looking for. So these two kind of principal chapters don't turn up in those search results very often. And I just kind of going through them and talking about it now, I wish I had, it's one of those things, you know, I wish I had known. I think that it would have made the learning experience a little smoother and at least maybe put me in the right mindset to ingest the information and the knowledge that you were trying to pass on about how to work with Rails. Oftentimes when we're teaching somebody Rails or if somebody is following a tutorial, you start with Rails new. <laughs> which is chapter three. Uh, you install all the things, you Rails new your project, and depending on what you want to do with this toy learning project, you go from there, right? But understanding where all of that is coming from, from the get-go, can really benefit and shape that learning journey. Yeah, I absolutely agree. These first two chapters here are only 343 words, but they are so foundational to the sort of mindset and approach of Rails, writing with Rails, writing Rails itself, that they're meaty. You're right. They get you in the, the right mindset, I guess. Do you want to move on to the more practical part? Yeah, I think we should. Although I'm not sure I have a ton to say about this. Yeah, I was going to say too, these next two chapters that we had read, chapter three and four, starts with installing Rails and kind of getting your default homepage up and running is getting into that, again, more practical bit of starting a Rails project. 
there's probably not a ton to discuss, but do you have just a summary of your impression or feelings as you read through this? I think really the only strong feelings I had about this section came up in chapter four when it showed a picture of the default Rails homepage. And it's so boring now. I miss the little world with the people. That illustration was great. This new homepage is boring. It's bland. I don't mind it so much. I didn't have as strong a feeling, I think, as you did. But I do miss that feeling of celebration that all the little people on the page are celebrating with me that I got my first Rails project rendering to the page. I did remember that being a really exciting moment. (laughs) Also, to me, it really always reflected the community as well. Like the Ruby community is excited for you and they want you to succeed. And that image just embodied that so, so well. I think that my feelings about this section is it is something that a few years into working professionally now, I don't ever get to do. Rails knowing a project at work is exciting times. Yeah. When you tell your team that or other developers that I am Rails knowing a project, the general reaction to that is not maybe not quite to envy, but oh, that's so exciting for you. I wish I get to do that. It's not all of, but it's part of the reason why I gravitated towards the team that I am on at work that focuses on kind of early stage products, uh, because I do get to Rails new, maybe like once or twice a year is very exciting. Do you generally use the migration generator when you're creating new migrations? I do. That is something that gets mentioned here. I think it's in chapter four, uh, the generators. I know that there are so many generators that come bundled with Rails, but the only one I end up using typically is migration. I want it to do the timestamp on the file, you know, and all of that important stuff that doing by hand would just not really work out. But I don't really ever reach for any of the other generators like controller and model. And are those tools that you, you find yourself using? Haha. <laughs> No, never. I don't know the last time I typed Rails G controller. My assumption is that you will feel feel the same way, is that we kind of always start with a new migration. So like you said, that like Rails generate migration is very natural. So once you've generated a migration, using the model generator doesn't necessarily feel as necessary at this point. So I will use the migration generator and then create all the models and controllers by hand. Is that what you do too? You know what it is? <laughs> As you were talking about that, I was thinking to myself, it's like, oh, why don't I just use Rail G model? And then you get the test files and everything is all kind of set up there. But I guess I've run into often enough and I'll need a migration or a model or something that doesn't have anything in like app slash models right away. So I, I do the required one and then add the things in as I'm making them. We're also kind of introduced in these two sections to what is going to be the example app for a lot of the guides. This is a blog because that's a kind of small domain that has a lot of the things you might be using and you can wrap your head around it. Did you ever watch the the famous Rails blog in 15 minutes video? I did not. However, I did watch our friend and former co-worker 
Sasha Grodzin's uh, RailsConf talk, where she kind of vamped on this blog post in 15 minutes with sort of when Webpacker was introduced. We'll link that talk for you. And I feel like I have seen that. I don't necessarily need to <laughs> watch the blog post in 15 minutes. I'm not sure that I've actually ever seen it, but it's referenced so many times. And it's kind of a callback joke that I feel like through the zeitgeist, I have understood what I need to understand about it. Like it was, it was big at the time, but Rails is doing more now. This is maybe a tangent question, though. Why are all tutorial applications either a blog or a Twitter clone? It's not necessarily about those platforms and those products that I have an issue with. My issue is with both of those products have an entity called post and you have an HTTP operation called post. This is really confusing for newcomers. Hmm, I guess I never thought about that. That was probably a huge part of my like blocker understanding rest because, okay, you're referencing post. Are you referencing your model called post? Are we talking about the rest action? It's a problem. Community, I want us to do better. For next episode, we're going to be reading chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the Rails Guides. That is auto-loading, MVC and U, and credit where credit is due. So a little more technical, but also still some foundational topics that I think are going to be pretty heavy. If you have feedback and or constructive compliments for us, we can be reached on Twitter at underscore tightly coupled and on Mastodon at tightly coupled at ruby.social or email us at tightly coupled.dev at gmail.com. And show notes can be found in your podcast player or on tightly coupled.dev. Bye. See you next time. Uh, the first, I'm going to try and do it without the, without all the ums. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> um. <laughs>